When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, good. Okay, we're actually, okay, yeah, because I want to hear about this t-shirt you're wearing, yes. All right, so I've been buying <laughs> black t-shirts with musicians on them forever. I've got a Miles Davis one that's falling apart, Muddy Waters, Louis Armstrong, and when I turned 70, my daughters thought it would be great that I have my own t-shirt. So they actually, this is two pictures of me that they put together, and they had the t-shirts made, and we had a dinner in New York, and everyone got a t-shirt. I've got wow. t-shirts for you guys if you want them. Wait, do you really? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I've got a lot you of extra t-shirts. They're not going out the I, door I only do fast. double X, man. It's, um, it's, uh, wow, that's crazy. I'm, Isn't uh, that I great? Need, I, need, I need one of those, and... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could walk there. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I could carry it off with the in fact T-shirt of myself. Could you do that, Joe? Uh, I don't wear T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things I was going to talk about, but I not is yeah. um, a big decision about what was the first movie I should show my daughters. Old movies. That's uh, okay. old in quotes. Sure. You know. Yeah. And it was like two years of thinking. I really want to get them off to a good start. You know. Seven or eight years because they'd seen, you know, uh, Free Willy and stuff like that. Right. But and after much thought, it was bringing up baby. Oh, that's pretty good. And it worked like a charm. I would have gone with Dirty Dozen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have girls. Yeah. No, I know. I was thinking girls. It's because they, um, well, should we, should we, we're just doing it. Let's just. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Okay. I'd like to do an introduction here, if I could. It's a little late. Um, I know, we're always late, but... Um, uh, we basically have a choice. We can talk to our guest or I can just read his IMDb page because we've <laughs> only got about an hour. So I'm going to boil it down. I've uh, got a young man here. He's um, uh, you were you were a co-director on this uh, Hollywood Boulevard movie, right? Well, um, you know, Joe and I became professional uh, directors on the same day. That's right. I know. I'm <laughs> and, uh, like uh, a, a lovely film. I think more people should know. Actually, a couple. Uh, Elvis meets Nixon, which is terrific. And and with the one that drives me crazy that you can't get anywhere because of the friggin' music. Um, get crazy. Can I say? Just go find it on the internet and steal. Yeah, it. it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's but around. I hear Kino, Kino Lorber is making trying to get it done. Oh, really? With yeah. the music? With the music? Oh, that'd be they amazing. It's a it. wonderful film. I'd love to see it in in, in HD. That would be great. Um, there's about 400,000 hours of television in there. Um, all of it great. All of it great. I've seen all of it. I've seen every episode. I just watch it every time I see it. And uh, and then there's this movie, uh, this here thing called the, the the Rock and Roll High School, apparently. Yeah. Um, you know, it's those kids with their crazy <laughs> rock music. I can't, I can't even make eye contact with Joe sometimes because that movie is just... 
Luckily, we're not here to talk about your work. Otherwise, I would just gush about that one. Well, for Joe's work on it is hours. fantastic. <laughs> well, I, I think you should both. Uh, yes, you can both take a victory lap. But we have two. we have writer credits. Uh, that's right. That yeah. is correct. That that is correct. It's so not just about autism. That's right. Um, our guest. Oh, by the way, our guest is Alan Arkish. <laughs> <laughs> he does have a name, um, and he's come in with seriously the most. This isn't even dog-eared. What is it? I it's covered like dog-eared taped together. What is this? Is this duct tape or? It's a special wide plastic tape you use on art projects. Fantastic! It's uh, Andrew Saris's American Cinema. I'm assuming first edition, 1968. It's it's written over. It's 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 torn up. It's taped over. It's doodled in, and and in all. 753 pages, not and one, it, and not one rests, mention of the word screenwriter. It rests but, <laughs> on my heart. <laughs> but my God, that's a, that's a, that's a, and what else, what is that over there? Well, I'm going to get to this, okay? Because okay? I decided cards. to take you guys He's got a, absolutely literally and seriously, okay? <laughs> okay. The title of the show. Okay. Wow. So the first movie I'm going to talk about literally taught me to read, to tell time, and started me record collecting. <laughs> Wait. Okay, I have no idea. Can't it's possibly. Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. Of okay, so it's all course. those bones. Yes. <laughs> How does Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier, get you into collecting music? Okay. Oh, the theme song. The theme song. First off, when it was on, you were probably the same, Joe. Completely yeah. hooked by it. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. We had and, our Davy Crockett caps. We had right. our Alamo play sets. Uh, and I had a flintlock. I had the flintlock pistol, and I adored the camaraderie between Georgie and Davey, you know. Boys. So, and the TV other show, thing. Though. Yeah. TV. Well, it was a TV show, but it was so popular. It was three yeah. parts. It was so popular that he cut it into a feature uh, and released it as uh, a feature film, and uh, it, where it played all over the world. And uh, and there were sequels. There's Mike Mike Fink's Killboat Race. There was a whole sequel. Um, and it was it was the biggest thing ever. It yeah, made, I, it made yeah. Fess Barker's entire career because yeah. well, see, I, I knew Danny. him. He came much later when he played. Uh, well, Daniel, Daniel Boone, Boone was yes. like, started, well, I can't play David Crockett anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes. In fact, Disney would not let Fess Parker go to be in The Searchers. That's right. Oh, that would suck. I know. But so uh, it comes out, I'm completely hooked by the all the merch, you know, and right. the idea of coming next week became so embedded in my brain. I made me go into television. Okay? Oh, because the idea, sure, yeah. the idea yeah. that I had something to live for at six years old. One more week. Right. You know. And yep. so I got the cabin, but the song. Yeah. The song was it. Davey, and I didn't Davey have a record part. Yeah, King of the Wild Frontier. And by the way, the people who sang that song also sang the Gilgan's Island tune. Oh. Factoid. That song was in three places in the top 10 at the same time. Wow. Yeah. So it was. <laughs> Wait a minute. Pop quiz. I don't actually know the answer to this. What's the last TV show to have an actual theme song? Ooh. I would think it would probably be a long time ago. Weeds has that little boxes on the hillside. Yeah, I guess that's yeah, right. You're, not allowed, a you're not allowed to have an opening anymore. Right. Yeah, time. it's only 17 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. 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 Anyway, sorry. Carry so, on. Carry on. <laughs> um, so I had to have that record, but I didn't have a record player. So, you had to get one. so my parents gave in and got me a record and a record player. Wow. Much to their problem, because if you've been to my house, you've seen I've got like, 
3,000 LPs and 5,000 CDs. So imagine the intensity of someone who would play that much music when they only have one record. (laughs) (laughs) And I played that record to death, which hooked me completely on songs and movies. I had a problem when I was, when that came out about first grade, I could not read. Well, I could read, but I couldn't, they thought there was something wrong with me because I did not realize that the pages were connected. That jip, run jip, run spot was one thing. And the next page was a completely different thing and I didn't get it. And I distinctly remember this moment I had a Davy Crockett comic book, and we were going someplace with my parents. I was wearing a little tie and everything, waiting for everybody. And I'm reading the comic book, and it dawns on me that the little squares move through time. Uh, that it was the same sure. as the TV show. Yeah. It was like a eureka moment. Uh, Holy cow. And you remember that, though. You oh, remember that moment. I distinctly That's remember fantastic. that. And that made it... Then I became a reading addict, right. and then... Because of coming next week, I started, I have to tell time. I don't want to miss this. And so I figured out how to tell time. So I, my life would not be the same. So I have to know, guy. did you ever meet Fess Parker? No, but I have a bottle of, of David Crockett wine. Was, yeah, yeah. He's got that vineyard, right? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah uh, yes, yes. So that was like, uh, changed my life. But I still loved songs in the Disney movies, you know. So I became sort of excess. Oh, that's one thing. I drove my poor mother crazy with this Davy Crockett stuff, right? I mean, constantly. So she found this article in the New York Post that said that Davy Crockett was a drunk and in Congress, he'd been thrown out and all this stuff. And we got in such a screaming fight, I decided to leave home. Sure. I'm seven years old. I put my cap yeah. on, my flintlock, yeah. and a peanut butter sandwich, and I'm out the door. How far did you get? Well, I haven't been back. So. <laughs> <laughs> About a block. Yeah. But the songs, you know, I mean, the Pinocchio, I think, was probably my second or third movie. So it was like, hey, you know, actor's life for me, when you wish right. upon a star, sure. you know, my prince, someday my prince would come Snow White, all of those songs got me really hooked and also got me more of those little yellow Disney records. Right. You know, but I, I want to know, I know if, if what your mother, your mother telling you the truth about David, was, was that formative at all? Or did we, you haven't just, esta- we haven't established that that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I would just think there'd be something kind of interesting and informative too in realizing that, that, you know, oh, it's all bullshit. Josh, too. this continues for years. <laughs> really? Are you still yeah. a- My teenage, the teenage <laughs> version of this is, and you can guess the artist. Yeah, I know he's a poet and these are important songs, but I can't stand this voice. <laughs> Who are we talking about? Sure. Yes. Bobby. Yes. Bob exactly. This exactly. continued. Exactly. And things like, Mom, yeah. it says right here on the back on this Paul Butterfield album, play as loud as possible. <laughs> I'm only following, I have no choice. I'm following instructions here. Yes. So the person on TV that got me next yeah. was Ricky, Ricky Nelson on okay. Ozzy and Harriet. Because I started watching that because of Ricky. And Ricky was like, had 12 top 10 hits, you right. know, and a fabulous band I found out later. Um, and so I became obsessed with Ricky and the way he sang with his eyes closed. And 
I stopped wondering what Ozzy did for a living, you know, because <laughs> have you ever seen a Josh? That, no, this is, I, you I, obviously I know of this stuff. I, I'm a little yeah. older than, a little it older. Was, it I'm was, younger than you guys. I also, I grew up without a TV. Ah, okay. So now, I heard about I was going to say it was in syndication, but if you don't have a TV, that doesn't really I, I heard about these things at school, but uh, did I you watch it? I, I, I watched it for the music. I didn't, I didn't, yeah. I didn't find it particularly funny. I thought Burns and Allen was funnier. Oh yeah, you know yeah. it was, it more, was more clever. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's they were kind of bland. Yeah, um, I mean, I've definitely yeah. That's I, I when I think of that, I just think of people sitting around in a suburban living. Well, room even Father knows talking about. Yeah, I mean, I mean basically, basically these people had no crises. They yeah, had none. No problems except yeah. what ice cream should Ozzy eat? I yeah. remember he ate a lot of ice cream. When Mad Magazine did their parody, uh, they had Ozzy opening up the newspaper, and there were things cut out of the yes, front page. I, they didn't yeah. want him to read them. He'd, he'd be upset. So then I found out that Ricky was going to be in a movie. Okay, so now we're getting ah, to the me. We we're getting to here the me. Right. Yes. Okay. And not just any movie. Not just not any just movie. Any, yeah, exactly. The movie, Rio Bravo. Yeah. Okay. So for me, it's Ricky and probably the best name ever for a gunslinger, Colorado Ryan. And the way he had the guns low on his hips and that greasy hair. <laughs> Walter Brennan. Which I love from the real McCoys, Stumpy, you know. Dean as the dude, you know. I mean, who doesn't love Dean Martin? And of course, John Wayne as John T. Chance. So all of that was great until I saw Angie Dickinson oh. as Feathers. And that was like a little too much for my, you know, oh, really? 11 year old. That was like so too much. You weren't ready. <laughs> anyway. My love of that movie goes beyond all bounds. I made your balls drop last night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, you were. I could. So yes, you were happy about Angie. I loved Angie. Oh, okay. I loved right, the right. movie. You know. Um, no, that was my. That was my. Mine was Jean-Pierre Bujold and Earthquake. Oh. It's just. That's just pretty cute. You just. Yeah. yeah. That moment, the first time you go. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> so that movie became like really important. Plus, there's two songs in it. You know, get along home, Cindy, Cindy, and my rifle, my pony, and me. So I became so, I love that song so much uh -huh. that I literally took it out of Joe's print of Rio Bravo. I ran from my 16 millimeter projector into a tape machine and made a mixtape in 1976 <laughs> called My Rifle, My Pony, and Me. He, he's got it here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and this is all... Rock and roll songs that are like themes from westerns. That was the whole idea. I'm gonna here. I'm gonna take a picture of this. We could put it up or something so people you know, can. So uh, this is that's his real handwriting. Yeah, and I became obsessed with it, and as <laughs> I'm prone to. So in high school, I think it was like the first day of ninth grade, something like that. I had a, a English teacher who thought that it would be cool to see what everyone's favorite movie but to break the ice right and so he says let's start now i'm a arca so i'm in the first seat in the left and he says let's start in the back and let's everyone tell me what their favorite movie is and he's standing there by the board <sighs> and he calls on this girl who had never been asked a question which called for critical intelligence before and she says west side story and, God, and the next girl didn't want, she says West Side Story. And then the next girl says West Side Story. So this is, he's not getting an opinion. And it lands on a guy. Uh -oh. And he says, Lawrence of Arabia. And I go, right. Yeah, best movie. And it goes through that all the girls choose West Side Story. 
And all the guys choose Lawrence of Arabia because the teachers, it's a total failure. The teacher should have called it off. And it gets down to me and it's tied. Right? <laughs> oh, no. And I'm about to say Lawrence of Arabia because I had seen the roadshow of it and I loved it. But something in my head, this image of Stumpy and Ricky and John, I said, I love Lawrence of Arabia, but my favorite movie is Rio Bravo. Yes. The whole class. Oh, Arkish. You always say something like that. <laughs> you have to be true to yourself. Man. Absolutely. So then flash ahead 20 years and I'm doing fame. And they have this episode where Dick Miller, who was the guy who ran the, the coffee shop or soda shop, is watching a Western on TV. Uh. And he loves this character in the Western, Bronco Bob. And uh, the, he's telling the kids all about Bronco Bob. And the whole episode's called uh, The Return, Bronco Bob Rides Again. So the idea was that the kid, his Kids find where Bronco Bob is, and he's in uh, Central Park. And he has his picture taken with his famous horse from this series. Except he can't afford the horse anymore, and someone's trying to buy the horse out from under him. And it's his arch nemesis from the TV series. So this is like, all right, I'm going total Rio Bravo here. because, And also, Debbie Allen pretty much let me do what I wanted. So I got from... Real Bravo, I got Myron Healy to play Bronco Bob, and I got Leo Gordon to play the bad guy, right? And in Myron Healy's little place that he lives, I have a poster put up of Real Bravo, and they sing My Rifle, My Pony, and Me with the uh. main cast, and it's like... The circle is complete. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could have just ended your career right there. Yeah, I could have. But <laughs> I had one more thing in the show, <clears throat> the big ending music number. And I decide I want to do for my favorite Westerns what uh, the Girl Hunt Ballet is. Sure. In, in, uh, in the uh, bandwagon. The bandwagon, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, although I have only six hours. And so we did a whole series of, it's a whole dance thing using all the moves from Westerns. Uh, you know, a Leone tribute, a, a bar fight and all this stuff. And they let me film it. Well, they let me film it. Ultimately ended up in sepia. It was a I wanted it black and white, but they said, oh, people think their TVs are broken. You know, so it ended up you know, sepia with scratches on it. And I got to do a horse chase in, in oh, Central Park fantastic. where the Myron Healy, although he couldn't do it, we got someone else, gets at the top of the, the sheep meadow hill and it goes high or silver, you know, or it rings. So my Western. So where, where might one find this episode? I don't know. I where, might, where, where might one find fame in general? I don't know. I think it might be just on YouTube. There's probably a million publishing problems. On oh, because of all the music. And part of it was when Debbie let me go nuts and do uh, whatever I wanted. It says it's on Prime Video. Oh, then I did. I got, we did dance numbers to Lou Reed. I mean, we did all this stuff. We did an episode where the guy, they're doing a play based on Sherlock Holmes, and then there's a mystery in the school, and I did a music number that intercuts. The Sherlock Holmes movie, we got the footage, the green... The woman in green? Woman in green, Public and the two kids one. singing, and we wove it in and out. I mean, they let me go nuts. Is that the new fame or the old fame? New uh, fame. 82. 
Oh, yeah, okay. Fame Two. So that was the syndicated one. Two to eighty-seven. Yeah. So that's 136 episodes. I believe it looks like they supposedly got them all on Amazon Prime. So another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now we get to one that Joe and I share because we both revere this film almost above all else. Eight and a half. Now, eight and a half really did at one point change my life. Okay. My father was a big film film buff, and um, he would recommend movies to me, and he had recommended Citizen Kane, and we sat together and watched it. I think it was a million-dollar movie. And uh, so I, that was, I was a budding you know, film buff. In fact, I went to my guidance counselor in 11th grade, and they gave – did you take the Cooter – Interest test in high school. You were Jersey, right? Yeah, I hope not. No, we had the SRA reading laboratory, which was okay. with some other guinea pigs. This was thing. a test, Josh. It told you what you were good at and what you should study. And I'm having this meeting with Mr. Cancelosi, and he reads me the results, and he says, you should be either, and I swear this is true, a forest ranger or a psychologist. It's like, these are the choices. He says, well, what are you interested in? Because he sees on... I said, movies, can films, can I study film? And he has never heard of this, right? So he takes down a book and he says, and reads it and he goes, oh, USC, UCLA, Boston University, NYU, that's the only places. Wouldn't it be better if you studied psychology and went to the movies <laughs> at night? My parents jumped oh, on that, that whole bandwagon and everything. And then it became a, a thing, you know? And so I went... When I went to New York and I saw Citizen Kane at the Bleecker Street in a theater, and it was thrilling. And they had a schedule, and I was reading about film and had a double bill of Breathless and Eight and a Half. And, but it was during the week, but it was on a Jewish holiday. So I told my father, and he said, well, if you go to Temple in the morning, you can skip school. So I went with my best friend, Susan Miller. And we went down there and we saw this double bill. Now, as much as I liked Breathless, the beginning of Eight and a Half, when he floats above the beach and you look down his leg and there's that rope all the way to the, the ground and then that vertigo and he falls out of the frame and wakes up in the bed, it completely blew my mind. And then the Asa Nisi Masa scene, which is the little kids in bed, to me is one of the most poetic pieces of film. And then the ending. I am stunned by this movie. And there used to be this show on, on I guess it was syndicated on local TV. Uh, this NYU professor would talk about movies every Sunday morning. So I used to watch this. And most of the time, I hadn't seen the movies. And he says, today, I'm going to talk about my favorite movie, Eight and a Half. And, oh, and he says, I divide the world into two kinds of people. Those who think Eight and a Half is the best movie they've ever seen and everyone else. And he gives this exegesis on, you know, I am Ribley because 
it makes sense. He explains the whole movie to me. So it's like in my head. At the same time, I am severely screwing up my college applications. I had so much hubris, you know, and thought I could get into Ivy League schools. I didn't get into any school except University of Bridgeport, okay? And my father was beside himself. So we go back to Mr. Cancelosi. And I'm going to maybe make a move on this film school thing. <laughs> and he looks, he says, well, there is one opening in this school that we've sent a bunch of students with, and it's in the psychology department. Oh, Jesus. Yes, yes. And I can get you an interview. So it's at Franklin and Marshall College. And he says it in front of your father? Yeah. Well, yes, because there's a whole meeting, you know. So That's now <laughs> my father's got to take a day off from work. And we drive all the way three hours to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, to Franklin and Marshall College in Amish country. Yeah. And the entire way, my father is telling me what a disappointment I am and how he had given me my own responsibility and all of this kind of stuff. And if I hadn't had all these weird ideas, you know, like being against Vietnam, I would have gotten good <laughs> recommendations from my teachers, et cetera. So, but I got this meeting with the head of admissions. And uh, you better not screw it up. So I walk into the meeting, and the head of admissions has this um, American eagle on the wall with an American flag in its beak. And he has got a brush cut, and he looks just like my history teacher was an ex-Marine. And so we start talking, and I really start blowing smoke, you know. Oh, if I could only study psychology, it's like a <laughs> dream come true, and all this stuff. And then he says... You follow current events? I said, oh, of course. You know, I read this paper and that paper. says, what do you think of Vietnam? Should we be in Vietnam? And now this is like, this is one of the moments in your life where you say, if I say we shouldn't, which is true, I have to ride back three hours. <laughs> right? And so I, I had killed in this debate in school in front of a whole student body. I just won this debate. And you know, got in a lot of trouble for it. So they, uh, I start giving both sides and divide up as fairly as I could and say, here's the situation and this happened and that happened, keeping away from the napalm and all, you know. And he says, you sound like a very well-informed young man. Uh, do you have any hobbies? And I said, well, I love movies. What's your favorite movie? I divide the world up into two kinds of people. <laughs> you know, it gave him the eight and a half line, figuring, okay, moving on, you know. He says, really? I've never heard of it. What's it about? So I start doing the whole exegesis that this guy does. And about two minutes in, he looks at me and he goes, I don't understand a word you're saying, but you seem very smart. Let's go outside and talk to your father. I think we have a place for you at Franklin and Marshall. <laughs> so that's how I got, at, eight and a half got me into Franklin and Marshall. That's hilarious. Did they have a film department? No. Oh. There was just a little film club, which we formed. Uh, so you could rent 16 millimeter films. Yes, yeah. and Blow Up was the big one. And they had two movie theaters in town. It had nudity in it, that's why. What? <laughs> Nudity. Yes. That's why Blow Up was oh, such a big hit. Okay. <laughs> That's right. And uh, there are two movie theaters in town, this little town full of Amish people. And um, one of them ran the sound of music every single day that I was at Franklin and Marshall. <laughs> yeah. Every single 
Which is why I've never seen it. All <laughs> <laughs> grudges. You know, you're fine. You're going to be fine. <laughs> and so a year later, I was at NYU. But the eight and a half saga, this is where Joe enters into it. When I met Joe in 74, I knew John Davison because John had a great film collection and we were friends at NYU and worked at the Fillmore. And when I met Joe, Joe, Joe's collection, you had that 16 millimeter of eight and a half, which gave that movie a whole new life to me because it's dubbed. It's dubbed. Yes. Yeah. We have discussed this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different yeah. movie dubbed. Yeah. yeah, it is. And we watched a lot. Yeah. And I actually started double billing it. You know, we used to watch it's it with double. a long movie to double bill. Yeah, we watched it once with uh, The Trip and Eight and a Half. Yeah, that's perfect. Good double yeah. feature, yeah. Here's a, do you still have a that great print? one. Yeah. We should, we should rip the audio and... I, I've thought about it many times. Sync it up. Because for some reason, it's not available in uh, uh, anywhere. It's, except it's with doable. And it's I mean, constantly a... people talking in Italian over each other. Right. So there's half of it's translated. Yeah, and it really explains what his dilemma is, because everyone's talking about the movie yeah. that he's trying to make, which is not in the, you know, subtitled. So you yeah. really get to think, going, he's crazy. He doesn't know what he wants and all that. <laughs> it's, it's really great. Another good double bill was Eight and a Half and Hell's a Poppin'. Yes. Well, Hell's a Poppin' in anything. Or, yes. Yeah. Yeah, which was so good that I actually once, okay, name drop, ran it. For Jerry Garcia and the roadies from the Grateful Dead as a double bill. <laughs> Jerry is a friend and complete total film buff. And like anything where you talk to, can we change reality? Now, there was a shock. And uh, so we, he couldn't get over it. Hell's, uh, hell's a popping, you know. So that's how Eight and a Half became like a, a big thing like to me. I feel like the first season of these, everybody, at least once, somebody mentioned Ed Wood, but I feel like Hell's a Poppin' has been coming up. Well, a for a movie that nobody lately. can see, it's really yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I forgot. Then yeah. I was doing Heroes, and there's a scene in the script where the character has a dream that he's in a car on a highway, and the car's behind There's only one car. It's like a real nightmare dream, and it's banging him. From behind. So I got this idea to shoot the cars because it had to be a dream like in The Bad and the Beautiful when Lana Turner gets in the car and it spins while doing that. And then because his threat is he flies for the first time. It's Nathan Petrelli. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And he flies yes. for the very first time. <clears throat> and now he's floating above the car and it runs into a, an abutment and um, his wife is, is uh, paralyzed and he drops down. So I bring in my eight and a half and I show, we're going to do this. I am going to do this shot. And we did. We, we shot it from above the accident. We made a plate and we floated him with his leg in the shot and everything. The same, right? And I had him drop out of the frame. And then in bed, he wakes up with his fist in the air. He's like, okay, that's two. <laughs> I've given You're back. paying back. Yeah, yes, right. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah, funny paying back in our business. That's a great, um, you know, rest of the world they arrest you for it. But uh. I, yeah, I, 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 I think that one of the main reasons for me is to go back in to the movies that I love, find a way yeah. to, you know, I have no sense of reality. And uh, my first movie was Peter Pan. And I don't think I've ever left that theater. You know? <laughs> and so I, 
the next topic is is can do two things on curated stuff. Okay, so I'm at NYU and um, Jonathan Kaplan's there, and John and uh, Jonathan's in this class called um, uh, Fundamentals of Filmmaking, and that was the second of the two classes of production classes. And in this one, everyone got 400 feet of film and you made your film. Uh, so it's four, four and a half minutes of film. And his teacher, Harry Hurwitz, who was, I think went on to direct some stuff, oh, yeah. uh, says, let's not do that. Let's all put our film together and we'll make a porno and we'll make some money. This is 1968. No, Harry was possible. very enterprising and yes. in fact did uh, make a, a bunch of softcore sex pictures. <laughs> so that's what they do. And they make this porno, which is not very porny. It's called These Raging Loins. Oh, well, I, and, well, that sounds familiar. And it? it's all over the school, so it has a big screening of it. You know? And that actually got a release. I don't know. Well, Jonathan Kaplan name checks it in uh, Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, okay. Maybe he's doing a clapper. As if that's the name of the movie that they're shooting. So they screen it at the school, and everyone loves it, but the dean finds out <laughs> and fires Harry Hurwitz. <laughs> so now they got to hire another film teacher. This is 68. There are no film teachers. You know, they're not sitting around. So Haig Mnugin, who was the, the inspiration of the whole school, picks his number one best student ever who's out of work two years out of school, and that's Marty Scorsese. So Marty becomes the fundamentals of filmmaking teacher and finds out that there is no film classes separate from the whole school of the arts, that we are sharing a film history class with the whole school. And, you know, Shane's a nice movie, and we've all seen Citizen Kane, but there's nothing specific. So we go out on strike and have a sit-in, which consists of running movies all night that John's at the projector running <laughs> and smoking pot, you know, and marched on the dean's office singing, shall we gather at the river? <laughs> and we get our own film class, Marty Scorsese's American film. And I brought the syllabus here. Huh? And you guys will love this because this is what... Not so much Josh, because this class, this oh, is why the already. textbook is here, yeah. right? That's where we got American cinema. There's only one book. Yeah. There was one book, and he would hold TV Guide in his hand and tell you what was on Channel 9, and you yeah, should TV watch Guide it. TV Guide is very important to film buffs. Oh, yeah, are you kidding? yeah no, I, I do remember so that. So um, Marty ran all these movies. So these are the movies that... that, that I saw the first two. Were, which, were. Are, which are not the, uh, the canonical classics. Not uh, yet, they're not. No, Shock Corridor. Yes, uh, Imagine opening. That was the opening the salvo. Yeah, which <laughs> yeah. is like, if you don't like, if you don't like this movie, you better leave. Yeah. Uh, the Searchers, yeah. which everyone booed when they he told them that John Wayne was in it. But he said, if you walk out, you fail the course. Uh, John Wayne was in the Green Berets. And, uh, that's right. Rear Window, Bandwagon, which we always yeah, talk about. Always talk about Bandwagon. Uh, the Big Heat, Fritz Lang. Yeah. Uh, El Dorado. Yeah. Hawks. Nutty Professor. Yep. Missouri Jerry, Johnny Guitar, Nicholas Ray, Force of Evil, yeah. uh, Abraham Polanski, yeah. Don Siegel's The Killers, not the, yes. not no, the black the and white one, one but yeah. the, the color the, one. The TV one. Well, that's so, well, the sort of TV one. It's a Don Siegel. Well, it was made for TV, but it was too but violent. But then, yeah. And yeah, so they yeah. released it to theaters. I, uh, no. Seven Women, 
which is a, always a very difficult movie <laughs> for <laughs> young people, uh, and, the, and The Wild Bunch. Well, The Wild Bunch, he came in one, he, you know, even if you don't know him, and I don't know him very well, he's an excitable man. And he comes in one day, he's beside himself in class. He's raving that he's just seen the movie that's going to change all movies forever. It's a whole new way to shoot a Western. It's a whole new way to do violence. And it opens tomorrow night at the Translux, et cetera. The wild punch. So the whole class shows up. Because that's what it was like. Marty would get you so amped up. The whole class is there for the wild bunch. And of course, it had the wild bunch effect. And everyone is so stunned. We actually had to go to a bar and have a drink afterwards or two to just get back down to earth. Tequila, I hope. Yeah. Yes. But the killers, which was a surprise. And and there's a bunch of Lee Marvin movies in there. Um, (laughs) So at the end of the killers, Marty kept talking about the scene where... Uh, Lee Marvin staggers out of the house. He's out of bullets. You know, the cops have pulled up and he staggers. He falls down a flight of stairs and he staggers up and the cops pull all their guns on him. And he doesn't have a gun, but he holds his hand up and pulls the trigger like it's a gun. And very detailed explanation of how great that was. It's in Taxi Driver. Yeah, sure. You're right. right. What I've realized Uh, over the years that he... This was like basically the Rosetta Stone yeah. of many of Marty's movies. In Mean Streets, they go see The Searchers yep. and they go see The Big Heat. And uh, obviously, The Nutty Professor and, and, you know, King of Comedy and the bandwagon shots are used also in New York, New York, New York, the New fake York. subway. Yeah, and so in a way, it was like really privileged to be there and yeah. see all this. And it changed my whole viewpoint on movies more than any other person. You were lucky. I was very lucky, but I was even luckier. And I'm going to just, just because Joe's in the room. Yes. I came out to work at New World, uh, just to get a job or do anything. And in 74, I started working at New World. And that's where I met Joe in the spring of 74. And uh, that's when also... I met Joe's complete movie collection. And him and John and, and Timmy had hundreds of 16 millimeter movies. And this isn't blockbuster. This is curated. Yeah, yeah. This is their taste. And for the next five years, it changed my whole view on world cinema. Matt, Josh, imagine having him be your projectionist. Absolutely. You know? I'm sure, yeah. For the next five years, we saw... <laughs> 1,653 movies. In how many years? Uh, five. Five years. Did you take notes? What (laughs) I did was, because I was starting to see so many movies of theirs, of so many movies in general, I started writing down on file cards. Mother of... For every month, I'd write down every movie I saw for the whole month, right? So here's some of the movies that I would not know if Joe... Now, this one, you got to look at this, guys. This will kill you. This is March. I pulled out all the March ones. So check out the date that we are today and what I saw in March of that year. Uh, Today we're recording this on um, uh, March 15th. 15th. Uh, uh, Well, on March 15th, uh, uh, A Boy and His Dog, uh, The Time Machine, and Exit Smiling. 
And the day before is a real winner, though. The day before is uh, The Wolfman and Brother Can You Spare a Dime and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, and things to come. 2001, A Space Odyssey, Forbidden Planet, trailers, clips, cartoons, Island of Lost Souls, and War of the Worlds. On the one day? Yes. Well, hang on. Before I have a question to do about that, that but, this, <laughs> but this will probably now let's do March nineteenth because this will probably <laughs> drop on March nineteenth. What were you? Uh, uh, March nineteenth uh, appear. Uh, you know what? We didn't see anything on the nineteenth. Whoa! Well, you were covering for the next card. I, I got cards for the next five years. Nineteenth, uh, uh, Ace in the Hole. Uh, okay. Just that. Just one. That was uh, seventy six. In nineteen seventy six, I saw four hundred thirty nine movies. <laughs> wow. So, well, here's here's my question about yeah. a day like this, because um, uh, I was not fortunate enough to have friends with 16-millimeter films, but um, uh, I did have a friend, John Mouton, right after college, mm -hmm. and I feel like all we did for about a solid year was hang out, order pizza, go down to the local VHS store, rent a ton of movies, and yeah. smoke pot and watch movies all at least all weekend. And I feel like we were able to see more movies in a day. Somehow, and mm -hmm. I listened to that list, and I laughed because I could. Could you imagine watching that many movies one day today? But can somehow, you, can you imagine threading them all? Well, and yeah, and then having to thread them. them. <laughs> but wait, I, I really time moved in a different way. Somehow, we yes. were able to see you more can movies. This, not, you're right. We, it's how are you able to watch 17 movies in one twenty-four <laughs> hours? You know, period? when you're younger, it's uh, it's, it's time is time is different when you're younger. But when movies you're are still the same. Time is very fast. They, they, you know, it's ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes. That doesn't change, and yet somehow. You're cramming. That was an insane I don't know, movie. And also, you had to watch some of them on TV. Go up to Hollywood Boulevard to see the others, yeah. and then we'd get together at night. Now, yeah. all day long, we'd be editing. Yeah. So we'd be, and we'd then be, we'd go to a screening, and then we'd go to the lab, and then we'd watch a movie. What made you have eyeballs left? Well, it was kind of like being a monk. That yeah. was our religious yeah. order. Absolutely. And sure. so I'm here to thank Joe. For sh for letting me see these titles, which I would never have found. Okay, I'm, I'm taking a lot of pictures. We're going to put up a lot okay. of photos with this episode. Gun this Crazy, oh, Night of the Hunter, the ubiquitous Hell's a Poppin', <laughs> Only Angels Have Wings, Moonrise, America, America, which we saw on the bicentennial. July 4th in 1976. Right, I remember. We thought a lot about what we should run, That's and that right. was... Uh, yeah. Meet, we me in yeah. Meet Me in St. Louis, which he had in 16-millimeter IB Technicolor. Tales of Manhattan, How Green Was My Valley, Red River, and Ruggles of Red Gap. Wow. Not to mention thousands more, and one that I can't remember the name of. Okay, in it, and I think it's Bela Lugosi... <laughs> It's in a coffin, and people escape through the bottom oh, of the it's, coffin. It's Night of Terror. Night of Terror? Yes. Okay. Which is on Amazon Prime in a really terrible print, uh, but uh, is one of the more um, astonishing uh, pre-code talkies um, in, in, in which uh, Bella plays Degar, who is a Hindu mystic. And uh, when the cops come in and he wants, to, he, he, he wants to get the best of them, he gives it, well, have a cigarette. And the guy, guy's smoking a cigarette, and he says, eh, this is kind of, it tastes kind of funny, this cigarette. It's an oriental cigarette. 
<laughs> I forgot confessions of an opium eater. I well, never would have run across yeah, that. That's true. You know? No, and even now people don't <laughs> run across that one. I, I got it what from archives, uh, Warner Archives put it out. Yes, and yeah. now it's, it's yeah. And, and as long as you put your PC notions away, it's uh, it's, it's and it's, murder it's by fun. television. Yep. And so, the death kiss, which we stole our first movie. Yeah, it wasn't from. all auteurs. It wasn't all this Howard Hawks. I'm looking at. Um, uh, you need to come back for another one. We can just. I just want to fight with you over this list. Oh, of course, is, you uh, know. <laughs> those are my. No, there's some great ones here, and I'm looking at his top ten favorites of 1979, which seems to include. So is this everything you saw in '79, and then on top is your. I think so. Yes. Is, yes. That's amazing. how it works. And wow. I had, I wanted someone to type these over. No. Uh, no, 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 to put in my computer no. so I could. Uh, no, no, this is, this, this, this is, is how, so this much is how should, I should live. My assistant spilled coffee all over. Well, of course. Yeah. I, I keep it, lists on uh, letterbox.com uh -huh. and we do that thing with every episode where we, somebody, I don't know, one of your gremlins lists every movie that was discussed in an episode on Letterboxd. And it's nice. You can do yeah. these things. And then I have a program at home called Delicious Library that I scan all my movies but you know and they're all digital and they're all on your computer and it's mm -hmm. nice but this listen this to, is art man this is like, to, john this davison is, calls me up one time like 11 o'clock at night and he says peace love and woodstock and i said okay <laughs> uh we're selling our 16 millimeter print of woodstock um we've got a great 35 Let's come over and come on over and look at the 16. And I said, John, it's 11 at night. It won't be over till dawn. He says, and Woodstock was what? Not till dawn? <laughs> and the movie is scope. So your scope lens would always go in and out of focus. Yes. It's right. very hard to focus 16 months. And changing all those reels, it was all the way till dawn. You know? And he was watching a 16 millimeter because he had just gotten a 35 millimeter? Well, Correct. He was, yeah, he was sentimental about getting a 16. <laughs> What? <laughs> I mean, I, I replaced a lot of my old VHSs with Blu-rays. I don't go back and... Uh, Some people are just that way about VHS. I know, I know. And listen, when these movies... That was like at least $150 an investment on each of these pictures. Yeah, movies, well, they're, they're, all, they're all basically black market movies. Yeah, they're yeah. from TV stations and they're, they're, they're stolen from uh, labs and stuff. But uh, the, the general run of a, of a movie would be like $100 to $175 uh, for a you know, black and white movie that's from the 40s or something like that. Mm -hmm. if it's, and if it's a really common movie like the basketball fix which is the movie that was on everybody's list because nobody ever wanted it uh, that, <laughs> you could get that really cheap but for any movie that had any kind of cachet we, we did, that was that was generally was expensive a, wow and I, mean, I, did, I had and super Josh, you would have enjoyed the ritual of like let's go to the vault yeah yeah, yeah. let's go and, to the vault pick up the movie pick a whole bunch you know get the pizza fantastic yeah fantastic. and sit in the beanbag chair yeah, <laughs> and, and, and wait know. for your life to begin. Yeah, yeah. obviously it hasn't yet. <laughs> yeah, we'd always, or someone would say, "Let's do a program about so and so," you know. Yeah, well, and then once we said, once we said, "Let's let's start with the A's and we'll go through the whole thing." Oh, I remember <laughs> that. We didn't, get, we didn't get any further in the middle of the B's. <laughs> <laughs> there was one movie though that in his collection. I'm going to bring this up. I know it's a sore point. That I never got like Joe did. Yeah, Harvey. Oh really? Oh really? Yeah. yeah. I know. You know the secret of Harvey is that it's not a comedy; mm -hmm. it's a drama about a yeah. dipsomaniac, yes. about a guy who is has 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 retreated into a kind of insanity because the rest of the world just disappointed him on every level. 
I, fi- I find it very moving. I know you do. And I've, I've, I've actually went and bought the DVD and gave it another try. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lovely thing. Are very... we talking here? Or is that, I don't know. I feel this is the problem, the problem doing this show. I feel like my the number of conversations I have about movies has now escalated massively. But when I'm not here, I'm talking movies, too. With people, we're talking to somebody, I don't remember if it was on the show or not, about doing a remake of Harvey in which it's no longer a rabbit. It's now Harvey Weinstein. Ooh. <laughs> That's a horrible And only he can see. <laughs> see, I, I'm a big believer. If I like an artist, I'm loyal. You yep. know? I mean, I will. There is not a Van Morrison record I, I won't buy. I don't have to hear it. I'll just buy it. And I love Leone. Yeah. And I went and saw Once Upon a Time in America. Yeah. And didn't work for me. And yeah. then... They were going to run it on cuts. Oh, that's the problem. I've seen... It was a problem. I've seen that movie four times. That's a good 12, 13 hours of my life. I, when I, when I, I was walking... But you're still not a fan, right? No. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I was walking to my uh, editing room at Warner Brothers, and I heard what sounded to me like Ennio Morricone music coming out of one of the editing rooms. And I thought, wow, it's, that's, I haven't heard that. And I go in, and, I, and there's a guy I know, and he's working on... Uh, once upon a time in America, and I said, "Wow, what are you doing?" He said, "Well, uh, we're you know making or doing some cuts." I said, "Doing some cuts to what?" He said, "What? We're just." I said, "Does Leone know about this?" <laughs> and oh, they, and no. he said, oh, "You shouldn't have come in here." Uh, so I called my friend Todd McCarthy at uh, Variety, and I said, "You know, you might want to check this story out. I don't oh, wow. know. I don't know that the director knows that the producer oh. is recutting his movie completely. And when I say recutting it, I don't mean just recutting it. I mean putting it in different order yeah. and just making a, a, a completely different movie out of it without his in- input." And of course, the picture opened and bombed. Yeah. Uh, people saw it and hated it. And, and some of them hated it so much that they never even gave it a chance to go back and see what it was supposed to be like, you know. Um, and it's, it's, it's not my favorite Leone picture, but I think it's, it's certainly... The longer one's better. I'll give uh, it's you that. Far better. Just, it's far on. better. But, but there's a, there are a lot of aspects of the movie that uh, I think are just not... Yeah. Don't, aren't up to the standard. I wish I could remember the name of it. Damn it. A year, several years back, I got a call from uh, someone I knew who worked at a company that they had uh, the treatment for what was going to be his next film. Hmm. And they were looking for a writer. They wanted somebody who would be true to Leone, you know, who was... And it was a Western... And I'm like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm in. What do I have to do to get this job? You know, and I went off and I met with him. We had wonderful conversations. I'm sort of, you know, and then they sent me home with a treatment. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it's, I, he had gotten to a point where he wanted to make a Western that was all about nonviolence that oh. was itself completely <laughs> nonviolent, which is only one of the many problems. It was, there was just, I just oh, couldn't. That's too bad. Yeah, it was so. I would have I would have written that thing for free if I had just mm-hmm. even had a uh, uh, yeah. Our yeah. editing room was across the street, the old oil editing room in New Orleans from the Technicolor plant, and uh, Technicolor was going to phase out IB in by vision, and we got to take a tour. Uh, it was amazing. The, the, uh, the last tra- trailer that was ever printed in real Technicolor was for Amarcord. Oh. Which we did, which Roger Corman released, right, and right. so we. we did it which now. is that in the in the in the Amacord uh, Criterion box? Uh, it should be. You got to see. Have you seen this trailer? Is, oh, is the trailer in it? No, I don't it's, know. It's a nice trailer. One, it's but but anyway, shows 
But oh, the one that you cut. Yeah. But oh, that's, okay. that's but the, the point peak. is, the point is when when we uh, when timing the the trailer, you you would go to Technicolor, and and the the secret of how they printed this stuff was that they had this film, and it would run all around this gigantic building on rollers. Each floor was a different color. And when you when it got down to a console at the end, there was a guy with dials, and he was he would dial in the color. And it, and the great thing about the color was it never it would never fade because it was dye transfer, and so it used to be really really cheap to make fat, a lot of dye transfer movies. But you have to prints, but you got to make a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And and around this period, the movie studios started cutting back and only making a smaller amount of prints, which meant that the, they all cost more money. And so eventually, it it was phased out, and they took the uh, the equipment and they sold it to China. Yeah, which oh, I thought right. was yeah, I ironic in that, you know, the, the one color that it fades to is red. <laughs> <laughs> and before, the day before we got uh, to get kick a tour of the plant, we saw the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It was The Godfather 2 was the last one. Right. And at the end of this trip through the whole place, it goes, the film goes down into this floor. So you go down to the bottom floor and it comes out and it goes into a projector. And these three women are sitting there watching every single reel of whatever movie they're printing. At the end of the reel, they cut it with a scissor and put it in a box. It was like the punchline. <laughs> oh, wow. But wow. The, and, all these, and they were throwing out all these prints. Oh, that's the torturous part. That's what they, I was they, 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 Did you take any? Well, <sighs> it, it wasn't that easy to walk out with a 35 millimeter. Print. <laughs> you throw them out. You, you, you know? couldn't just no, take they, them. No, what the problem was that there were a lot of films stored there for years, and the uh, studios didn't want them didn't want to have the uh, take the trouble to find a place to store them. Also, many of the companies had gone out of business, and so they were sort of orphan films. And I mean, there was a Technicolor print of she wore a yellow ribbon mm-hmm. in, in in this brand new can from apparently the forties, and I, all you could think of is these are all going to end up at Santa Monica Bay, which oh. is in, in fact where they all ended up. Oh. And they had all these. They had this. Um, sorry, this alleyway between. The building with fencing, big thick fencing on yeah. each time, each side, and we could see in all these sixteen millimeter prints in this garbage bin, and we couldn't get there. It was like the Great Escape in reverse. I, you could have <laughs> broken it at night. You could have. It was disgust. You could have rounded up a bunch of guys. It was disgust. And I, Cassavetes, Jim I, I Brown. Found a lot of, I found a lot of stuff. I went as a Paramount. I found a, a sixteen millimeter print of Don't Look Now in the garbage, and it wow. was but the, nothing wrong with it. It was fine. So here's a question: You guys, I was, I'm sure it's a stupid question, but this stuff is still being rots and fades underwater. It's gone. It's it's, it, you know, like you, you couldn't go it. find it. No, it's in the bay. It's, it's not like bay. a it's Dawson City frozen and in time. They're probably, kind of even on, they're probably still on reels, and then the reels get rusty, and it's uh, uh, there's no way. Yeah, and some of the shows prints of um, uh, Stairway to Heaven. Uh, that was a Kodachrome print. Yeah, it was bright red. Yeah, that's now called. That uh, was a Kodachrome print. Yeah, Kodachrome was another process that didn't fade, uh, but it wasn't as good as Technicolor. Right. Yeah, and some prints we'd run again. It's got about six months left, and I remember one was the go-between. We better watch it. <laughs> yeah, because it would start to fade, and it would, like, there's no hope. Yeah. And also, it, there was this thing called vinegar syndrome, which was that the film yeah. would then start to just literally fall apart. And I, I've had some beautiful 35 millimeter prints that I had to junk because they were just they couldn't play them anymore. So, perfect segue. Yes. Thinking of going from vinegar syndrome and falling apart, my next topic is old age movies. <laughs> family okay um in the mid 70s we used to go to the la county museum a lot 
fantasy programs at night, and they would always have a movie star. We saw Jimmy Stewart one night with our um, what's the Hitchcock movie where the walls all move and it's uh, one shot. Oh, rope, rope. Okay, yeah. so one night they're running Make Way for Tomorrow by Leo McCary, who. Uh, you know, Leo McCary's got like six Academy Award nominations. He's got 105 credits and he did the one for the awful truth. And we had never seen this movie. Um, and before they start the movie, Ron Haber gets up. Yep, Haber gets up and he says, we have the star of Make Way for Tomorrow in the audience tonight. And Beulah Bondi stands up. OK, so when she made this, she's born in 1888. Okay, so when she made this movie in 1937, she was 48 years old. And she says, I was only 48 when I made this. And I guess I looked old. I wish I was my age now because uh, I could really play it now. She was 87. All right. So she always played mothers. Yeah. She was always young. Great. She actress. was always younger than the people that she played the mothers of. And this is a great movie. And yes, it, and also yeah. a very little known movie. Yes, and it's oh, there is a there's a, there's now a criterion of it. Mm. So. Yes, and it, it's about uh, an old couple who have to split up. They can't afford to live together, and their kids try to keep one or the other in their homes. So what you get is this situation of older parents and grown kids, and the tension between them. And I have come to experience that. As my parents got older, and now um, my kids are probably thinking that about me. And it's a fantastic movie. And at the end, after they relive their honeymoon in New York City in a series of scenes, they split up forever, and the movie ends. The entire audience stood up and faced Beulah Bondi and gave her a standing ovation. It was an sure. unbelievable moment. You know? um, and so that really stuck with me. So then, years later, um, let me see what year it was. When Ingmar Bergman died in 2007, I was a big Bergman fan. And I was at home with Joanne and a friend of hers. And I said, oh, we should have a toast to Ingmar Bergman. And we said, well, let's watch a Bergman movie after dinner. So I had wild strawberries. And so we put in wild strawberries. And I realized this was the first Bergman movie I'd ever seen. Like maybe I hadn't seen it since... I saw it in film school, and I'd written my first film school paper on this movie. It all kind of came back to me. And it's um, Victor Sostrom, who in the movie is really old. He's uh, 78, and Bibi Anderson is 22 in it. And he is going to get his gold watch. He's the end of his career. He's going to get a gold watch and retire. And uh, there's also a dream sequence in it, and Bibi Anderson is his niece, comes along, and he revisits all the places of his youth. And when he gets there, he has a vision of what his youth was like and all the things he messed up and so forth. It's like a Christmas carol kind of thing. Yeah. And when I first saw it, I completely identified with Bibi Anderson, you know. And I'm watching it now. And I go, I'm, I'm the old guy about to get to watch. <laughs> And it was so moving. It was one of those things where a movie changes in your life sure, yeah, and yeah. becomes deeper and deeper. And it's a great movie. And the same effect on Tokyo Story. Now, I, Tokyo Story, according to Ozu, is his version of Make Way for Tomorrow. And it's the same thing. It's, it's elderly parents and they 
go to visit their kids, and none of the kids have time for them. They're all in their mid-30s and busy, busy, and they keep shuffling the parents around until finally they come up with an idea that the parents will be much happier if they go to the seashore. So the parents at the seashore, and they go... So this is the they got rid of us. They sent us to the seashore, and of course, at the end of the movie, they pass away, and the kids are racked with guilt. You know, it's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I, it's funny. I never even thought of them in the kind of, but uh, uh, I, I did not know he he thought of it as his remake. But that makes sense. Yeah, it's a uh, you know. Yeah. And now, have you any of you seen Summer Hours? I've not. Summer Hours. Yeah. Is that a burger? Olivia Assayas. Oh no, I haven't. Okay, it's his version of these movies. Oh, okay. It's um, about a, uh, well, it's about a home, right? And in this home lived this painter, let's say like Renoir, I mean, a really top painter, but in the, from the 20th century. And he has passed away before the movie started. And this house is full of his art and all the art of his friends and stuff and the furniture and everything is incredibly beautiful because it's a man of great taste. And it's a weekend in the summer where his wife is is entertaining her kids and their grandchildren. And the grandchildren are running through the yard and it's where they grew up. All the, the kids grew up. And they are loving the fact that their grandchildren are running through this beautiful place and they're among all this art. And they have to make a decision what to do about the home and what to do about their mother. And that's the premise to the whole movie, you know, and it's the same kind of thing, you know. It's, it's a, a gr- it's a great movie. I, I'm a big Asayas fan. He's uh, yeah. I mean, I know a few. Oh yeah, yeah. Obviously, I saw Carlos and uh, yeah, like, Demon um, Lover. Uh, Demon Lover, yes, yes. But I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, the I'm last two were really, really good. The uh, um, I know Personal Shopper. I, yes, I have to. I have to. Um, yeah, it's, yes, and in my. Old person trifecta finish <laughs> is Ikiru. Uh, I oh. shame to say. Uh-huh. It's on my, you know what, Joe? Uh, my, no, I know, I, I know Ikiru. I also know Umberto D, which I yes, yeah, on that yeah, yeah, exact. Oh, I forgot Umberto yeah. D. I put Nebraska on the list too. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, uh, Ikiru is a man who's lived a life of nothing but paperwork. Yep. And oh, I know. I know. I just, yes. I've never seen it. It's on my... It's and just, the scene where he gets the playground built and he's on the yeah. swings in the rain is... Yeah, yeah it's, it's great. Yeah. yeah. Must, must. Okay. I got to talk about my father. Because my father turned me on to movies. Okay. Uh, yeah, mine, mine too. Did he? Yeah. What yeah. kind of movies did your dad like? Well, he was... My, my folks were divorced and he had me every other weekend. And we would... Um, and this is the early mid-70s. Uh, uh, westerns, I mean, everything really, but westerns and uh-huh. Altman films. Yeah, and which ones? <laughs> Altman films. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm 12 years old. He's taking me to Nashville. <laughs> like, I'm gonna, uh, but I, I love that stuff. Yeah. But, but that, you know, that, that, that forms you, you know, that's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. Um, My dad was a child of the 30s. Uh huh. So his formative movies that he saw were all the 30s movies, and he loved I Was a Fugitive from the Chain Gang. Oh, yeah. And he used to do the scene at the end where Paul Muni is there and he says, what are you going to do? How are you going to live? And he goes, I steal. (laughs) I love that scene. And he loved uh, the Blue Angel, the Marlena Dietrich one, especially when the professor. Yes. (laughs) Especially when the professor crows like a rooster um, and lost Horizon. 
It was on TV. Got to watch The Lost Horizon. He was fascinated by Sam Jaffe mm. in Lost I love Lost Horizon. I've seen it a lot. Well, have um, you? How, how about the remake? Where do you come down on that? Um, <laughs> I think I lasted 10 minutes. <laughs> That's about yeah, it. It's yeah. not good. I recently rewatched the DVD of Lost Horizon. It's magnificent. You yeah. Know? It's beautiful. Well, which is, which is good because a lot of that Columbia stuff is not in very good shape. Yeah, the sets. And... He sent me, I went into work with him, and he sent me to see a, one of the art houses to see Great Expectations. Mm. The, the lean. The lean one. And yeah. said, now. So good. It's going to, you know, just be ready at the beginning. You know, yeah. That was his favorite part when the guy, prisoner, jumps out. And yeah. All that stuff. So he was, like, very encouraging to me about all that. But when it came to going to film school, it was no. Because he had been a painter. And uh, he couldn't make a living as a painter. So he went in the family business. So now you can't make a living as an artist. And that was like from his experience. But the key event, I guess I was about 11 or 12. And we used to go to movies as a family. Mm -hmm. So the ones I really remember, I did a trailer from hell about it. The thrill of it all with Doris Day. We saw a lot of Doris Day movies and North by Northwest. And I remember going to see Radio City to see Funny Face and uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and Damn Yankees and, you know, family stuff. So this one Sunday, it grabs me and my sister and my mother. My mother grew up in France, so she loved foreign movies. So they take us to the Queen Anne Theater in Teaneck, New Jersey, which was an art house. And the movie is the first movie with subtitles that I ever saw. And it's the world of Apu from the Apu trilogy. It's the third one. Not only is it subtitles, I have never seen a movie about a different culture. Right. And you'd think I would get lost. You know, it's not for me. I get really involved in this story. And it's about, you know, uh, a guy who wants to write a book about love. And his friends and everyone tell him, you can't write a book about love because you've never experienced love. It's, I'm sure you face this as a writer all the time. You know, you can't write a book about that unless yeah, you experience no, exactly. it. And his best friend is going to get married and he's the best man and the best friend doesn't show up. And according to the Indian tradition, he has to marry the bride. And it's a 16-year-old girl. I kind of want to steer clear of weddings. Yeah. <laughs> so he marries her and he has to bring her back to the city. And he lives in poverty. He teaches a couple people and he's writing this book. And now he's got this 16-year-old girl living in his apartment and it's a slum and um, they fall in love. And I hope. <laughs> yeah. There's a surprise. And then she has a baby and she dies in childbirth. And he is so in love with the baby, well, I'm sorry, with his wife, that he blames the child and he will not keep the child. And he gives the child to his in-laws to raise. And he can't stand being in the apartment, which reminds her, he goes off and becomes a wanderer, a monk, all around India. And he's going to finish his book. He's going to do all this stuff. And that's the Big section of the movie. Now, I'm following this. I'm still, I'm 12 years old. This is way over my head, but I, I'm following it. And, and finally, he he gets this epiphany and he goes to the top of a mountain. I will always remember this shot. And he takes his book out and he throws it off the mountain. And all the pages kind of float down. And he makes a decision to go get his son. 
and his son runs from him. He goes to the seashore where the son is staying with his in-laws, and the son doesn't want any part of him. And he gives up, and he starts to walk away, and he turns behind him, and the son is there, and he reaches his hand out, and the son runs up to him, and he puts the kid on his shoulders, and they walk off together while Ravi Shankar's music is playing. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a kid, it left a huge impression about art and parenthood and so forth. And in 1993 or four. So this is what you do with movies. Movies changed my life. And what, yeah. you know, so in 1993 or so, my father gets uh, um, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he doesn't have that much time to live. And we go visit him. And I'm thinking, I've got to do something for my dad, you know, that shows him how much I appreciate. And I find, I decide I want to watch the world of Apu with him. Because of that thing he gave me. And I find it at um, the Hollywood, uh, down Hollywood Way, uh, Eddie Brandt's. Yeah. I find a doopy VHS at Eddie Brandt's. And I go to New York and we're, everyone's going out to dinner. So I stay behind with my father and we watch. I put it in the VHS player. Three shots in, we look at it and she goes, I remember this like it was yesterday. I mean, uh. it was like... It stayed in our minds, and we we watched it together. Mm. So that was the best way, in my view of the world, when movies yeah. are, you yeah. know. Yeah. I gave him that. Oh, that's beautiful. That's movies that made him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That was yeah. the whole point. Very yeah. much so. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want to do something upbeat? Yes. Yeah, you yeah, got anything out? No, that was beautiful. The movie that made me want to be a director. Oh, is there is there a movie? Yes. Okay. Hard Day's Night. Ah! Well, hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, saw the Beatles. I was, it was the first movie that was about something that I knew something about before I went in. Sure. Oh, sure. Right? Because yeah. everything yeah. else was yeah. exotic. Right? I yeah. loved the Beatles. I went yeah. first night. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm really into this movie. And there's the scene where they are in the, in the uh, cage in the baggage, baggage car and they're singing, I should have known better with a girl like you. Yeah. And the, Everything's shaking and everything, and the girls are all around, and John's playing. And around the second chorus, I've seen this a hundred times, the cameraman cannot resist the Beatles anymore. And he starts dancing. Oh, uh, yeah. And it so completely blew my mind <laughs> that it was like, holy shit, someone thought of this stuff. Yeah. And at the end, after the concert, the screen goes black, and you realize... You're looking up at the bottom of a helicopter and the Beatles rightfully ascend to heaven. Yeah. And they toss those. And I left that theater like mind blown. And I get home. My mother says something like, how is your Beatle movie? <laughs> because I had worn out the Beatles welcome. Sure. <laughs> home. And I said, I think it was really well directed. It came out of my mouth. <laughs> you were right. Yeah. So oh, that was fantastic. A yeah, yeah. I, I, it's funny. I, I just um, uh, one of my early jobs. I remember I worked for a production coordinator, a lovely woman named uh, Shalini, uh, Shalini Warren. She was British, and um, I went back and checked. Of course, immediately after she told me this, and now every time I see it, it just makes me so happy. She has one maybe one and a half second shot in that movie. She is a screaming girl at the end of the wow. thing. And I'm like, 
That's that's immortality. That is immortality. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think I was more starstruck by her than I have been by half the movie stars oh, I met. The uh, <laughs> in, oh, uh, wouldn't be an episode. Wouldn't be an episode without my phone going off. Pardon in seventy uh, two, I went to London and worked in a rock concert, uh-huh. called, a rock theater called the Rainbow, and um, it was great. It's it's a place called the Finsbury Odeon. And we were doing shows with The Who and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And the back stairs of the place always looked familiar. And I realized that's where they shot Hard Day's Night. I did some research. Wow, that's fantastic. And my, where I lived right across the street was the view where the Beatles come out and they sing Can't Find Me Love. They come down these yeah. stairs. But they cut to a field. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, Alan, that, that was an amazing journey, man. That well, was thank you. Absolutely lovely. I think, uh, well, no, Larry Karaszewski, we did some visuals when he brought in the newspaper ads, but we'll have to put some of this stuff up. I've taken a bunch of photos. So it's a, it's a work of art. Uh, the stuff <laughs> you brought in. It's a work in progress. Yeah, and, and yes, actual I'm work <laughs> in progress, yes. Um, but uh, well, I really liked the show and everyone on I thought, I'm going to take it literally. I, I'm so glad you Plus, did. Plus, I've always wanted to... Properly thank Joe for all the film knowledge, you know. And, and now you have, and now yeah. you, can, you can stop I mean, returning not, not that we don't, no, <laughs> we don't see each other all the time. But um, it was really a So where are we going for lunch tomorrow? Uh, Musos. Where okay. else? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Raymond Chandler and Duke are, the Duke are going to meet us there. <laughs> and Sam Peckinpah. You love Musos. Well, of course, like, everybody loves Musos. Who doesn't yeah. love Musos? Um, anyway, thank you. Thank you so thank much for coming you. on. That was a pleasure. Great. Our show was recorded in beautiful downtown Burbank. The official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.